Now tonight we're continuing in on our study and our series through the fruit of the Spirit, but we're going to do something a little different tonight. I told you guys last week that tonight was going to look different, but I'm not even going to quite yet tell you why. Now, earlier this week, Sam talked about it. On Sunday, actually, he came to me and said, so what are we doing on, on, on Wednesday night? What's, what's different? I told him that he could come on Wednesday night if he wanted to find out. <laughs> so not even Sam knows where this is going, which is an important thing to, to remember in just a few moments. Like I said, we're talking through the fruit of the Spirit, which comes from Galatians chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, you can, you can turn over to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read through it. I'm going to give a little bit of an introduction, then we'll jump into the night. Before we do that, let me pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this night. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to study your word and to come together. Lord, I thank you as Sam just taught us and, and sang in that song, Lord, that it really was a, a way that you came to, to save us that we would have never expected and so much less than you deserved. But Lord, we thank you for your humility, the example that you've set for us in coming and not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but you humbled your, yourself to become a human and humbled yourself to death, even death on a cross. So we thank you for that, Lord. Pray that you would help us to follow you well, and that you would, even tonight, continue to produce the fruit of the Spirit in each one of our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul is writing to the Galatian church, and he says, I say then, walk by the Spirit and you'll certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, we've talked all semester about the, the difference between following after the flesh and following after the Spirit, and the two are at total odds with one another. But he tells us exactly what it looks like. What does it look like when we walk by the Spirit? And that's where the fruit of the Spirit comes in. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, we've said this all semester. I'm going to say it every night because it's so important for us to remember. The fruit of the Spirit does not represent a checklist in terms of how we are to become good Christians. The, the fruit of the Spirit is not a list for how we become, become filled with the Spirit and how we walk by the Spirit. Rather, the fruit of the Spirit is simply the result of a life that is lived walking with the Spirit. When you walk by the Spirit, when you invest that time with the Lord and with Jesus Christ, he will produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And if you try to produce the fruit on, of the Spirit on your own, if you think, I'm just going to shortcut it, I'm going to do my own thing, and I'm going to produce this on my own, you will fail every single time. Because the reality is that Jesus says that apart from him, if we're not connected to him, there's nothing good that we can accomplish. He said that in John 15, verses 4 and 5, he says, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, Jesus said. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. So how do we produce the fruit of the Spirit? The Bible tells us it's very simple. By walking according to the Spirit, by abiding in Jesus and spending that time with him. Now, the truth is, the reality is, is that's very easy to say, but sometimes a little harder for us to do. See, we are still trapped in this flesh and have the sinful nature in our lives that is pulling us away from the things of the Spirit. 
And while oftentimes we want to walk with the Spirit, maybe sometimes we just don't even really know how. From a practical perspective, what am I supposed to do tomorrow morning when I wake up in order to walk by the Spirit? You know, hindsight is always 2020. It's so easy to look back in our lives and see the, the things that we should have done differently and even look in other people's lives and see where they're messing up. But sometimes in our own lives, it's difficult to see which step we're supposed to take that is right in front of us. In our fallen, in our sinful state, the Bible teaches us that we are, we are fallen, we are sinful, and because of that, we can't even trust our own hearts and our own thoughts. And it's not always obvious the next step that we're supposed to take. But here's what we do know. When we do see the fruit consistently produced in somebody's life, when you look at somebody's life and you consistently see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, you know that is a life of somebody who is walking in the Spirit and who has a good root. Jesus said these words. We've read it almost every week. Matthew 12, 33, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. What Jesus is saying there is don't worry about the fruit, just worry about the tree. If the tree is good, the fruit will take care of itself. If the tree is bad, you will have fruit that is bad as a result. So what's important to focus on is not trying to get good fruit, but trying to have a good tree. And going back to what Jesus said in John 15, the the reality is that apart from him, we can do nothing. So we don't need to focus on love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. We need to focus on being connected well and abiding well in the vine. And when we do so, he will produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The Apostle Paul understood that oftentimes, even though we know what to do, and, and the Bible is clear, you see the, the Lord's not hiding anything from us in his word. The Bible is very clear in terms of what it presents to us and tells us how to live. But the Apostle Paul understood that sometimes it's difficult to really understand how to follow the Lord while we are in this sinful, fallen state. And so he said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, hey, just imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what he's saying there is, in the moments that you don't know what to do, I am running after Jesus the best that I can. And if you just follow and do what I'm doing, you're going to be taking steps in the same way that Jesus did. Now, that's a a very daunting thing to say, to tell somebody to follow you as you follow Christ, because in the way that you live, you are going to be leading others. And there's there's a high accountability, a high expectation when we do that. But Paul was able to say it because he was sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ and he was living with everything he could, the best he could for the Lord. So he could tell people, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So tonight, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to walk through any specific aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit as a whole. And we're going to examine what I'm going to call some good fruit. So Jesus said, when you have good fruit, you know it's because you have a good tree. So I want us to examine some good fruit and to understand how we, in turn, can have a good tree as well. Now, Sam, just a few minutes ago when he introduced that song, he talked about the people in the Bible that said yes. And where would we be if it weren't for them? If all these people that the Lord decided to use had given opportunity, if they had said, no, I'm not not interested, that sounds difficult, that's not really comfortable, I could make more money doing something else, I could have more popularity, more fame. 
I'm reading through Jeremiah right now in my quiet time, and that is a man that experienced great hardship because he was following the Lord. But as a result, the Lord used him even though he couldn't see it in his life. But he's an example of a man that said yes and followed the Lord. So what I want to do is I want us to examine tonight the life of somebody that said yes and is following the Lord, is producing good fruit, and that we can learn from. So, Sam, I didn't tell you anything is, but I want you to join me on the stage. And I want to talk to you and get, I want you to know Sam a little bit better. Because, Sam, I don't know anybody in this church that exudes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control like you do. And I know if I had told you that this was what I was going to do, you wouldn't have shown up tonight. So that's why I did not tell you. So if you don't mind, he's, he's heading out. Sam, if you could join me on the stage, I want tonight to just be an opportunity to get to know Sam McElroy, and we're going to spend a little bit of time just understanding his history and his, his background, but then I want to focus a little bit on his walk with the Lord and how he has consistently and faithfully followed the Lord so clearly all throughout his life. Now, there's a lot pray, of people... Pray for Noah while he looks for another church, all right? <laughs> Now, what, what actually made me think about this is actually a couple weeks ago, I realized I did not know Sam as well as I thought that I did. So uh, he was right here on a Wednesday night. He walked in. I said, good evening, Samuel. And I said, well, Samuel, I assume Sam is short for Samuel, right? And what did you say? No. So Sam is not short for Samuel. I said, so what is Sam short for? And you said? Sam. As a little boy, uh, I didn't like my given name. My dad's name was James. My first name is James. And my middle name was my given name. And playing a lot of ball, when they would introduce me and a, a PA and all, they would call that name. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, you know. So there was a man in the neighborhood who started calling me Sambo. And so it got shortened to Sam. And from elementary to middle school, to junior high, I wasn't middle school then, to high school, just took Sam with me. And so I just kind of adopted that name and kept it and did away with my other name except on official business. Now, I told Noah, my mom, we were pregnant with our first child, or Trisha was pregnant with our first child. She said, I don't care what you name it. I'm going to call it Bozo, and I'm going to get you back. So uh, <laughs> anyway, I took on the name Sam because I liked it. It was short. It was easy, but it was really not my name. So when I heard that, I realized maybe I don't know Sam as well as I thought I did because his name isn't even Sam. He's been lying to us this entire time. So Sam, tell us, and Sam had no idea this was happening. James had no idea this was happening, uh, and he has no clue what questions are coming. Sam, tell us where you grew up and where you're from originally. I grew up in Birmingham, on the western side of Birmingham, a little community called Fairfield Highlands. My dad worked at U.S. Steel for 42 years. Uh, I was an only child. My mom had difficulty at childbirth, and the doctor told her, you don't need to have other children. So because of that, I was an only child. And so grew up uh, pretty much that whole, uh, my whole time there. Went to high school at Hewittown High School in the western side of Birmingham. Uh, went to college at Montevallo, Jefferson State, and uh, Sanford University. My degree is from Sanford University. Did you grow up in church? I did. I had a great home church, Fairfield Highlands Baptist Church, and our community grew from the growth of U.S. Steel in the 60s. Uh, so I had a great church, great music program. My love for music <laughs> came from two things, my church 
and Elvis. That was my love for music. So I'd go to all the Elvis movies and hear all those songs, had all the LPs of the Elvis movies and all those songs that I had listened to through the years. But we had a great music program at my church. And uh, I was saved when I was 10 years old. Uh, so uh, that Sunday morning was under conviction as a 10-year-old boy and never robbed a bank, never stole anything, but I was still a sinner. And I uh, went home that day, and many have heard me tell this, but uh, my mom always said roast beef or fried chicken for lunch and smashed taters. Now, smashed taters is what you mash them with, a masher. You didn't do it with a mixer. So we had smashed taters and uh, Sunday peas. That's English peas because we only have them on Sunday, and you call them Sunday peas, and a congealed salad. My mother had 52 congealed salads. We had a different one every Sunday. But I wasn't hungry. I didn't want anything. I was under conviction. <laughs> so my parents realized it and my dad looked at me and said you want to go see the pastor I said yeah so that afternoon as a 10 year old boy in April of 1961 I went to see my pastor and he led me to Jesus on that gold carpet in his office that's awesome so you grew up in church, you came to know the Lord, you said at 10 years old. So when, you're, how long have you and Teresa been married? 46 years. 46 years. So when did you guys meet? How did you guys meet? We met in 1975 in December. I was a minister of music at a church. Our pastor and his wife knew Teresa and her family. Uh, he knew them real well. And our, our student choir, we used to call it a youth choir, was singing a Christmas program at another church on the first weekend in December of 75. And so she and her mom came at the invitation of our pastor. And we met, just briefly, but met. I can remember standing there talking to her. Of course, she's, she's short. I tell her all the time, stand up. I say, oh, you are standing up. That's right. Uh, but we met for a, a brief moment. And so the next week, my pastor, I was asking myself, I need to get some Christmas out costumes for our pageant. He said, I know a lady, you met her the other day, he said she's got some really good shepherd and wise men outfits. She's at their church. So I, I called and she said they wouldn't use them. And I went to their house to pick up those costumes. And that's where I really met Teresa. We talked and, you know, I said, could I get your number? You know how that goes. And so we dated from then on. We're married in June of 77. So how long from that moment till engagement? Oh, probably, uh, we met in December 75, probably a year. You know, we dated a good while. And, uh, and then, of course, I was serving a, a church, and she'd go with me, and the young people just loved her. And, you know, they kept bugging me, like, when are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? You know, those kids asked me that question. So it was great. It really was. So you said 46 years. You have two sons. Mm -hmm. How many grandkids? Four. So where are they? Where are your kids? Where are your grandkids? We have a uh, son and daughter-in-law live in Medina, Tennessee, just north of Jackson. And they have a daughter and a son, Lacey, who is 13, our first grandchild. Praise God. I had two boys, and I finally got a girl. And uh, she was our first grandchild. And uh, she's 13, and then Carson is uh, 9. And Lacey's real involved in music and theater. She loves, she, she goes from one play to another in Jackson and other places in West Tennessee. Carson's really involved in athletics and sports like his dad was. 
Uh, Lacey plays uh, keyboard for the worship team at church sometimes. So as an old music director, I'm thrilled to death that she's involved in that. Our other son, uh, our oldest son, lives in Texas, lives in Longview, Texas, uh, with his wife, Missy. And they have two boys that are uh, 10 and 8. And uh, we're actually going there Thanksgiving. They just built a new house and uh, have a big area, uh, 19 acres. And so we're going to see them uh, with our whole family. Looking forward to that because we don't go out there much. So you're saved at 10 years old. When did you know that the Lord was calling you to ministry? I was serving as the, they didn't call it that, but I was the student intern, music and youth intern at my home church and helping the music director. I would lead music on the, the youth Sunday that we had when the youth would lead out. And then I was working that summer with our music director and uh, we did a choir tour and, and I'd lead some and people, my pastor, Dr. Ron Harris just kept saying, when are you going to make your decision? When are you going to decide to accept the call? And I just kept saying no, because I'd seen so many surrender to the ministry and never do anything. They just never were obedient. And I just, I wasn't going to do that. So I went to college, coached high school ball and, uh, was working part-time at a church and doing coaching and thinking I'm, you know, pleasing God, but that's not what he wanted. So our little church was growing and uh, the pastor wanted me to go full-time and I finally turned my back on the, the coaching and the sports stuff and went full-time in a church and, and God blessed that. So I, I'm very thankful for my home church, my home pastor, minister of music that guided me, encouraged me and, yeah, along the way when I was young. So talk through the different ministry positions that you've had over the years. And so what churches were you at and what was your position or organization? Well, I've been doing it about 52 years. Uh, now I was at uh, my home church's interim. I was at another church's interim. Then I went to First Baptist in 74. I went to First Baptist Vincent, Alabama as Minister of Music and Youth, uh, 73. In 74, I went to Union Hill Baptist Church below Hueytown as the uh, Minister of Music and Youth. I was there from 74 to 79. In 79, February 79, I went to Wilkes Baptist Church in Midfield, all this suburb of Birmingham. was there from 79 to 87. And then in 1987, uh, I got a call from Milan, Tennessee. I didn't know where Milan, Tennessee was. I never heard of it. I thought it was over in the mountains. But it wasn't, just up the road here. So I went to Milan as the Minister of Music and Education and ended up being there 21 years. Our boys were four and seven. We moved there. They were raised there. They call at home, which is a great thing. Uh, they graduated from Union. Both of the boys graduated from Union University. So they had the West Tennessee area to call uh, home. We were at Milan for 21 years. Uh, in 08, I moved to Decatur to be the executive director of Phil Water Ministries, which did conferences and Phil was growing, and he wanted somebody to take care of his staff. He said, I ain't got a clue. He, so he, he and I had done a lot of revivals together. He was a preacher, and I was a music guy, so we knew each other really well. And so I moved there to be his executive director and probably would have retired there uh, until I got a call from this man named Steve Gaines. And I tell people all the time, when Steve Gaines calls and God calls, you listen. You know, and Brother Steve called. We knew each other. Brother Steve had been the youth pastor at Milan in the early 80s. So when he came to West Jackson in, Tennessee, in Jackson, Tennessee, 
we began to interact. He would come over to Milan and speak or do a Bible study or men's breakfast. So we've got to know each other. And uh, so when he went to Gardendale, uh, he actually, we, he, he claims that I turned him down. I'm not sure that's true, but he wanted me to come to Gardendale, and we, that did work out. But So when he called this time about coming to Bellevue, he said, don't you dare turn me down again. <laughs> I thought I didn't turn you down. So I'm very thankful that we get to serve with people like you in a place like this. That We've been here since uh, March of 14. Derek E. Walton had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to preach at First Mile, and, and he was talking about his Bellevue connections, and he mentioned, you know, our pastor, Brother Steve, and and he says that they're like, oh, yeah, do you know Sam? And, and and then one guy took him to a back hallway, and there's just pictures of Sam all over the wall, and so you may not know it, but this guy is a celebrity in Milan, wherever that is. It's but. choir pictures. It's not me. It's <laughs> choir pictures. So Sam... Uh, so I kind of set this up talking about the fruit of the spirit and just examining a life of good fruit and that shows a good root. So talk about the just your walk with the Lord of the years and and what your time with the Lord has looked like, how you have kept that relationship fresh, you know, whether it be what what you do daily now or just practices that you've had over the year that have that have helped you stay in love with the Lord and seeking after the Lord. Well, I've always said if you have a friend, they're not going to be good friends if you don't spend time with them. I've said it many times. You know, if, you, if, if, if no one I say we're friends or we never spend any time with, or when I call him and I need something, that's not much of a friend. So if the only time God hears from me is when I yell for help, that's not much of a friend. It's not much of a follower. So spending time with God has enriched my life since salvation at 10 Along the way, and there have been times I didn't do it as well. And of course, Brother Steve uh, being such an emphasis and rightfully so on prayer. I've learned so much from him years ago and then here at Bellevue about prayer. I thought I knew a lot about prayer. Um, years ago, I asked Brother Steve, I was at Milan, and I asked him about uh, uh, revival, and he recommended a guy. And this little fellow was an expert on prayer. And he, Brother Steve, dedicated one of his books to him. He's, I think he's been here before. And uh, Don Miller, and a wonderful man of God. And I learned a lot about prayer from Don Miller and Steve Gaines. But the more time I spend with God, the better off I am in my relationship. I'm just saying you can't be close to somebody if you don't spend time with them. If you don't spend time with your spouse, not going to be close. So the the... Bottom answer is spending time with God. Now, every church I've served had different emphasis. Uh, Milan was strong evangelistic church. Uh, Wilkes was strong fellowship and love. So every church had different emphasis. Churches always take on the personality of the pastor. You can look at Bellevue and look at Dr. Rogers. They take on the personality of the pastor. Dr. Gaines, personality of the pastor. It's always true. And so... My personality, my walk with God had a lot to do with the leadership of the pastor or people that I was under, uh, even as a, as a young boy. So that had a lot of difference in my walk. But in the latter years, learning about prayer and what that meant and spending more time, I got an office upstairs at home and I, I go there in the morning and or night, sometimes both. And spend time there. And it's, it's my getaway place because Teresa's downstairs. There's nobody upstairs. Kids are grown and gone. So that's my special getaway place. However, the special place here is the prayer room. If you don't go there, you should go. 
it's the special place at Bellevue to pray. So what would you say to the person here today that maybe they're struggling with their walk with the Lord or they wake up in the mornings and they just don't know what it even means to spend time with the Lord? How do you do it? What would you encourage them to do for their next step in terms of how to spend time with the Lord, how to grow closer to him? There's a book in the bookstore that I've given people. Don Russell used to kid me about this. I gave him a copy years ago, and I, all of a sudden the title escapes me. It's about your walk with God, spending time with God. I'll think of the title in a minute. But it's been very helpful. I've used it to give other people through the years. But it's something you've got to prioritize. You've got to prioritize it. You can't, you know, spend five minutes with God. Then you, you, you don't do that. If you have a relationship with somebody, you don't want to spend more time with them. So to answer your question, uh, you have to, and over the years, I've gotten better at it. I'm not perfect, (laughs) Lord knows, but I've gotten better at it because I spend more time at it. And uh, sometimes I read through books of the Bible. Sometimes I read devotions. Uh, All of this is, and then pray. I have prayer lists. I have a legal pad, just the way I do it. Brother Steve has prayer cards. I've watched him do that. I've driven for him before. You have watched him go through those prayer cards. I have lists. I have my Jehovah Rapha list, people I'm praying for to be healed. When God heals them here or calls them home and heals them, I cross through it and put praise the Lord. You know, and I add to it and take it away. I have lists of family. I have lists of servants uh, that are friends of mine. It's a long list of people who are pastors, whatever, serving in churches I pray for. I have lists of uh, Bellevue uh, things that I pray for at Bellevue. I have numerous lists in that legal pad. I change it periodically. I ask my daughter-in-laws and son periodically, how can I pray for them? And they update me, and then I change it. So I'm a list guy. I can't remember everything. I'm 103 years old, so I can't remember everything. And so I, I write it down. So I have numerous lists that I pray for. I may not use every list every morning but mo- or every night, but most of the time I do. So this is going to put you on the spot a little bit, but if anybody can answer this, I trust that it's you. So you say you're 103 years old, and David in the Psalms at one point said, I have been young and now I am old, but I've never seen his, his children forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. So give. I would love to just hear you know, what the Lord brings to mind if you just give some testimony of how you've seen the Lord be faithful in your life throughout your entire life. Is there, is there a moment that sticks out in terms of, or a, a situation, or just how he's, you've walked with him that sticks out, that shows the faithfulness of the Lord. Because you, as you've talked, I'll say this to give you a little more, more time to think. You talk about this, and and sometimes, if you're like everybody else, which I assume you are, sometimes you have an excitement about getting with the Lord, and reading, and praying, and, it, and, and you get something out of it, and it really feels like it's alive, and living, and, and it's incredible. And sometimes it just feels a little dry. So what is it in those dry moments that keeps you going back to the Lord and keeps you pursuing him like you would in those non-dry seasons? Because I know he's going to come through. And even if it's a dry season, I understand what you're saying. Sooner or later, God's going to come through. And we must have, I must have a spirit of expectation. When we pray over the worship center on Sunday mornings, at 7 o'clock, where both Steve and the staff, I have a spirit of expectation that day of what God's going to do. How many people are going to be saved? So when I pray, 
I've got to have a spirit of expectation. Sometimes it's greater than other times. When I've gone to the Lord desperate, you know, he sees my heart. He sees your heart when you're desperate, when we cry out to God. But again, I say we don't need to do it just when we're in need. He needs to hear from us on a daily basis. You know, when my granddaughter was little and she reached up to me and said, Papa, what did I do? I picked her up. And God wants to see the same thing in us. So, when I answer your question, there have been times in our life, um, our youngest son was coaching high school in Nashville. He had, a, after, his, after his, grand, his daughter, our granddaughter was born, he suffered panic attacks, went through a hard time, had to, had to resign from his job. They left Nashville, came back to the Mila Madonna area, and uh, we had to pray that through. It was a t- he was always full of life, the captain of the basketball team when he played, the point guard, full of life. But the fear in his eyes was incredible. I would go to his house in Nashville and have to pick his chin off his chest and lift it up, have to pry it up and make him look at me. He had such fear. And he, what happened is the responsibility of a, a daughter, a, a child, was overwhelming him. But through prayer, uh, much prayer, and I just thought of this. I called Brother Steve. We were in uh, Decatur, Alabama, and I called Brother Steve. And I said, and I told him about uh, Garrett, and he said, uh, what are you doing? And he told me a day, a day or two later, I said, I'll bring him to wherever you are. He said, I'm going to be at the hospital in Jackson, Tennessee. One of our children, I think it's Grant, is having a child. He said, if you'll bring Garrett to me, I'll talk to him. So I left Decatur, picked Garrett up, drove to Jackson, Tennessee, to, to, to the medical center there. But Steve and I and Leah, his wife, went in the prayer room at Jackson Hospital. And Brother Steve looked at Garrett, asked him some questions, and he, he dismissed me and his wife, Leah, said, y'all go out. I need to talk to Garrett. His healing started then. It started when Brother Steve, a man of God, laid his hands on him and prayed for him. We walked out of that chapel. Brother Steve looked at me and said, he's going to be all right. He's going to be all right. And he was. He's a picture of health now. He's a super father and provider for his family. God delivered him from that mess that he was in. God, God has nothing to do with fear. Fear doesn't come from God. And we had to instill that in Garrett. So just one of those, there's many examples. That was just one where God really came through for us uh, in our life, when we moved from Birmingham to Milan, it was a huge step of faith. I mean, I was an Alabama fan, and I was moving to Tennessee, God forbid, you know. And uh, people told me, said, we didn't know y'all wore shoes in Alabama, you know. And, and so it, it was a great time, but it was a big step. Teresa left a huge job. But she was a urology nurse uh, at a, a hospital, doctor's office, great, office, great job. And we left, we just felt like it was God's will. And we look back on it as the best, best decision we ever made, you know, just because God was faithful. When you take steps of obedience, and I can't say I've done it all the time, but when you do, he's going to bless you.
In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to, to pray for us as we close and pray a blessing over us. But I want to encourage you that as you seek to walk with the Lord, and, and whether you're 20 years old or 103 like Sam, we all have a step that we can take to grow closer to the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit is not fully developed in any of our lives because none of us have fully been made into the image of Christ yet. And so as long as you're here on this earth, the Bible teaches that the Lord has stuff for you and he wants to spend time with you. He has a plan for you. And I want to encourage you to continue to seek after that. The Lord's not done. It's not too late. The Lord has stuff for you. And so I want to encourage you. And on those days, like he said, the Lord is faithful. And let's continue to, to seek after the Lord and trust that he will. He is faithful to develop the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And on those days that you wake up and maybe it's just a little more difficult, maybe you just don't know what else you're supposed to do, I'm so grateful for men like Sam in my life who I can look to and who I can look and see the fruit of the Spirit developed more clearly than it is in my own life and know that he has walked with the Lord, he has walked with the Spirit, he has abided with Jesus, and he has set the example for me to know how to spend time with Jesus. And so like, like Paul, I'll encourage you, make sure you have people in your life that are further along with the Lord than you are. Make sure that you're spending time with them. Ask them questions. See how they walk with the Lord and imitate them as they imitate Christ. I'm so grateful the Lord gives us examples that we can follow. I'm a very visual person. I like to, to see things. If I see somebody do something, I can usually do it unless it's like a backflip or something like that. But if, it, like, if it's a YouTube video of how to change an alternator on a car, whatever, if I can see it, I can usually do it. And I think the same is true in our spiritual life. If you see people walking with the Lord, it gets a little easier to walk with the Lord and to know, okay, I can do that. I can do this simple step. Now, if you listen to, to Sam tonight, there's nothing earth-shattering that he talked about in terms of his walk with the Lord. But it's just day after day of faithfulness. Eugene Peterson, who... Tra paraphrase the, the Bible into what we have as the message. He defined our walk with the Lord as, I wrote it down here, he said, a long obedience in the same direction. And that's exactly, I'm grateful for you, Sam. That's what we've seen with Sam. You talked about the people in scripture that could have said no. I'm grateful that that 10-year-old boy and that college boy that accepted that call to ministry didn't say no. I'm grateful that you said yes and that you set the, the pattern, the example for so many of us. And so you, whether it be Sam, whether it be Brother Steve, you have people in your life that are doing it right. Many of you are doing it right. And I want to encourage you to really look at other people who are further along with the Lord with you and really try to emulate that and imitate that as a way to imitate Christ. Because when we spend time with Christ, when we abide with the Lord, when we walk by the Spirit, the Lord is faithful to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And when we try to do it on our own, we will fail every single time. Because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Sam, can you pray for us as we dismiss? Let's pray. Oh, God, we're, we're nothing without you. Noah just said it. Apart from you, we're nothing. No matter what we've done or where we've been or whatever, Lord, we're nothing without you. And Lord, I pray that we'll realize that every day when we get up. I pray that you will encourage every person here tonight. I don't know where they are, but you do, God. You know where they are in their walk of life. Thank you how you bless me and Teresa and Anthony Garrett and Leah and Missy and our family. Lord, we're so blessed. But I thank you for times that 
I took steps of obedience. I'm thankful for the times I guess I didn't, and you taught me lessons. But God, I pray you've always been faithful, and I thank you for that. Help us to be faithful for you, to say yes every time you tug at our heart, you tap on our shoulder, and the things you want us to do, somebody to share Jesus with, or whatever you have for us to do, may we be willing to say yes. And when we do, God, may we remember you're going to bless us. Thank you for being there. And we have those dry moments, as Noah said, Lord, may we be persistent in our prayer and spending time with you, knowing that you're going to come through. You always come through. You may not answer right away, but you're going to be there. And I thank you for that assurance. Thank you for that expectation. I have great expectation of here at Bellevue and what you're going to do every week, every service. And I pray that continue in each one of our lives. Bless each person tonight. Love them. Put your loving arms around them. And those who are really hurting tonight, I pray you'll love them and minister to them in a special way. They can't escape your love and your great salvation. Put somebody in our path tonight, this week, that we'll share Jesus with. We'll be obedient when you say, talk to them. May we be prepared and ready to share Jesus with them. I love you, Lord. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.